Um, Rachel Faulkner Brown. She's so amazing. She has three names. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you don't want these names the way I got them. True. <laughs> I, yes, I understand that. I just also love that on the joyful side, I'm choosing to look at it as like, you got so much that like two names wasn't enough. We needed three. So I love you. You guys, Rachel is amazing. If you watched my Instagram live with her I think late last week to get to, hopefully get a chance to watch that and meet her. Um, you'll see she has a little Southern accent. She is, um, do you live near Atlanta? I do. Yeah. In Atlanta. Yeah. Georgia. And um, she's really beautiful. She um, has a ministry called Be Still Ministries. And um, we have actually never met in person. Um, but we are soul sisters. And Brad, actually, my husband met her in an airport. They were sitting next to each other in a restaurant at a bar, you know, like in between flights. And Brad's a chatty Kathy and um, struck up the conversation with this beautiful lady. And now she like, honestly, like, I think we're going to be very good friends forever. Um, someday we will meet in person, but you know what, just like this workshop isn't in person. We don't have to be together to feel each other's spirits, to be connected. Um, I, I hope we can all be together soon. I prefer to be in person, but we don't have to be for God's spirit to be amongst us. So I know you're going to get so much out of what this dear friend is going to share. So I'm going to mute and it's all yours, lady. Okay. I'm so excited. I am actually going to um, share my screen with y'all real fast. Um let's see, I brought some pictures just because I have quite a crazy life. Marissa uh, mentioned that, but you know, it's funny. I was thinking about what I would share today and a friend of mine had sent me um, something about how men always had to go up to the mountain to, to meet with Jesus. It's like they had to go away and um, and how the women, it seemed like all throughout scripture, God always came to them. And so I felt like, um, Isa's inner healing. I, we do a lot of that here in Atlanta too. And I, I don't know, it's just that I kept hearing the word all morning, just come, come, come. And, and I think when we thirst and I mean, obviously y'all are all here cause you're thirsty and um, you want something more, but I just love that Marissa's doing this. And I'm so glad that I got to jump on here with everyone as well. But um, I just think it's such a reminder that in the busy of life as a woman and as a I know for me, a mom and a ministry leader and a, you know, carpool, I mean, an Uber driver, all the things that I am. But, you know, for women, it seems to be different in scripture. It seems that he does come to us instead of us having to go away so many times. And I'm like, golly, I want to just sit in that. And I really, honestly, I just got that sent to me yesterday, but I think it's something for us to all just maybe even dig into. I mean, I even think about Mary, you know, she was there preparing 
the body and preparing Jesus' body, and, and there he came. He came to her in her duty, you know, in her her love. So I don't know. I just think it's something for us to all remember, and he's definitely, I'm sure, already met y'all all here today, but um, just a beautiful reminder that um, he is coming to us. He's pursuing you, and when you're thirsty, he's going to meet you there, which I just love. So I'm going to pray before I start just for a minute, and um yeah, just I've been in mom mode, so I'm just kind of you know dropping in um, right now to um, just something different. So, Lord, thank you for today. Um, thank you for Marissa. Thank you for her hands that have put this together. Thank you for everyone sharing, everyone on this call. Lord, I pray right now that they would feel and know that you are coming to us, sitting in our chairs, wherever we are on our beds or in our homes or outside at the park, wherever we find ourselves today, God, I just pray that everyone knows um, and knows that you are um, making good on your word that says come um, and you are coming to us. And not only are, do we have to come to you, but you are coming to us. And I just think that's such a I don't know. It's just so refreshing to me that to, to know even in my, even in this time and this crazy time of preparing meals and all the things that you're coming to us. And I just thank you. Multiply this time. I pray that you would just um, take us as only you can do because you're outside time and space. It would take us outside time and space to allow us to experience you in a new way. Um, a new revelation from just some things that I share and um, that you would just um, meet us right now, even in the secret place that we find ourselves in, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so I just wanted to start with um, the scripture, Psalm 126.5. This scripture has been the cry of my heart this year. I feel like sowing, it's really interesting. I've heard a lot of prophetic voices talking about sowing um, over the last few weeks, and um, uh, man, this has been just top of mind every day because I feel like for so many years there were a lot of things that I did not sow in tears and the Lord has just reminded me and been reminding me that what you sow in tears it will reap a harvest of joyful shouts of glee and this is actually from the Passion Translation I'm sure you're all familiar and I'll read a little bit more from Psalm 126, but I know we've all been in Psalm 91 probably, <laughs> I have at least for the last five weeks. Uh, I feel like I've practically memorized it. I've read it so many times, but um, this scripture is just a reminder that no matter where you find yourself on this journey, and it is, you know, it is a journey. It is, I, I just, it's not a destination. The journey is the destination. That's one of my favorite quotes ever. Um, and obviously you're doing this workshop, so you're on a pretty amazing journey. But I think for me, just looking back, there have been like five distinct moments in my, um, in my journey where I have sown tears. And I, you know, you always look back with such beautiful reflection, but I think for me, um, watching how the harvest has come in from the tears that have been sown. And I'll just kind of start with a little bit of my story. Um, I was raised, like Marissa said, I'm a uh, gritty little girl, a girl raised in the South. And, um, you know, my mom dressed, my sister and I, bless our little hearts, we never left the house unless we had a matching 
dresses. <laughs> I'm sure some of you probably hadn't even heard of smock dresses, but that is all, that is the thing. It was the thing back in the 70s and um, had a pretty idyllic childhood. Honestly, I was, um, you know, raised in the church. My parents were both teachers. We had a beautiful life, but um, what happened to me at 10 years old is that a family member, um, right after I actually believed, you know, became a believer, um, you know, I was just a 10 years old at that point, but um, a family member, a cousin actually, um, ended up abusing me at 10 years old. And at this young age, I was probably like seven in this picture, but at this young age, I just developed um, this even grittier personality and because I just knew that my family would be absolutely ruined if I told anyone what was happening. Now, fortunately for me, this was not sexual, but it was my first experience with, um, with my body being stimulated by someone and it happened to be a family member, it was a cousin. And so, you know, the shame, and when I, I'll never forget finding out what incest meant at 19 years old and just absolutely falling into just this pit of no one, I, it was literally like an armadillo rolled up into a ball. I mean, I, I don't know how else to describe it to you. And, I, and for those of you who've been abused, you may understand this. You just develop this hard outer shell. And that was exactly what I did. I was like, no one will ever find this out. I'm just going to roll up into a ball and be an armadillo. And, um, you know, that is how I lived um, the next 25 years of my life. So you can imagine what that does to a sweet little girl who looks like that in her little pretty swap dress. And I, I just brought my glamour shot just so y'all could be blessed by this. I had never been skiing at this point in my life, but I did my glamour shot and I wish you could, I wish I could hear y'all laughing because bless my little heart. I put on that ski jacket. So you can imagine here I am at that, at this very age, you know, 12 years old, my cousin abusing this sweet, innocent, uh, you know, child and um, go to college. I meet the man of my dreams in college and Todd was um, just a stud. He ran cross country. He was, um, he ended up being president of his fraternity and he was Mr. University of North Alabama. I mean, he was everything that you could ever want. We dated all four years of college. And of course I can remember being in my dorm room and praying and saying, God, God, just, I will do whatever you ask me to do as long as I'll, I, you know, it was like I was selling my soul to never tell a secret. I can remember literally vowing in my college apartment and just vowing no one will ever, ever, ever find out what happened to me at, at 10, 11, 12. And you can imagine that creates a wall in your heart. And, um, you know, I, I have done many, 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 many inner healing sessions like what Asa just did with y'all, but um, it has been an absolute um, unbelievable journey of just unpacking how that armadillo's shell comes off. And I ended up marrying Todd. We married the weekend after I graduated. My sweet daddy said, honey, you can have $10,000 or you can have the wedding of your dreams. And 
of course, I'm the fool who chose the wedding, invited, you know, every child I'd ever known, evidently, in that photo. <laughs> it's still, I just look back at that, and I'm like, that is what a 21-year-old bride does right there. That's basically like Mary, you know, the mother of Jesus getting married, because nobody gets married at 21 anymore. I mean, that's just a, such a thing of the past, but here I am, the best day of my life, but carrying that secret and carrying that secret shame and Todd and I go on, we were married for three and a half years and he has, um, five days after September 11th, he had a massive aneurysm on the basketball court of my best friend's driveway. And so here I am 23, Todd was 27. He was the picture of health. He had had, um, run five days, five miles the day before and had really never, ever exhibited any kind of signs or symptoms that this, you know, that's the way aneurysms work. You just, it just happens. You don't know. And so here I am widowed at 23, 10 days before my 24th birthday. And although, um, you know, I did some things really right. Like what I did do was I immediately started playing worship songs every night in my room. And you have to know I was born into the church, but I was born into a, you know, a really, um, you know, head knowledge environment. I mean, there was no one saying God told me this, or there was no one saying, um, you know, just there were no handles, you know, it was just all your knowledge and learn more, do more, make another casserole, you know, serve more. And so I was, um, I, I, I did what I knew to do. I was a worshiper and I loved to sing. And so I would just sit down in my room and worship. Little did I know that was the Lord training me to fight. And I just had no idea. You know, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. And so here I am in my room at 23 years old, listening to Give Me Jesus over and over and over by Fernando Ortega at night. And it was my saving grace. I really don't know, you know, any other way to um, share other than it saved my life. I met my husband, um, uh, Blair Faulkner. He was um, a family friend. My second husband, we were, um, I started dating about a year after Todd passed away and Blair was an eligible bachelor, 35, never been married. So he seemed like as good of a husband as any. <laughs> he loved Jesus. He never, um, you know, he, he knew my family and knew my situation and knew my in-laws and it, it just seemed like a match made in heaven. So we married and had a beautiful life. We had um, just a, just, oh my gosh, just an absolutely dream. You know, he was a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And so he went to work and dropped bombs and shot his Gatling gun every day. And here I was a drug rep. So I was going to sell drugs. So we were just like, it. I mean, it was just kind of a joke, but we had just a blast. Dual income, no kids with a dog. I mean, living in New Orleans, need I say more, the food, I mean, just the whole thing. It was just, it was a dream. You know, we lived a beautiful life. We had two children. Davis was born and um, our little fighter pilot squared here. And, um, and then our, our baby girl Campbell came along not too long after that. And um, so I'm a 30 year old mother of two living um, with a fighter pilot husband who's flying three times a day. And you can imagine I'm not getting any sleep. He's home about an hour a day where he has any coherence because he's so tired. It's like riding roller coasters 
you know, all day long at Disney World. You can imagine. I mean, it's just an exhausting job. And April 23rd of 2008, so this week, actually 12 years ago, Blair went out and flew in his T-38. It's one of the pictures of him in his jet and had a student pilot with him that day. He was training the next generation of fighters, fighter pilots and as he went out that day, there was a cable in the wing that was broken. No one could have known. And Blair takes off his student pilot, um, you know, actually flying the jet. And um, they lose all control. They have no lift. And um, the jet crashes and explodes. And Blair and his student pilot ejected, but the ejection seat does not work under um, 75 feet and so they were both killed through traumatic brain injuries instantly and here I am left again but this time with two children and to say that life is different losing a husband with two children is um, you know the understatement of the century. I um, got the phone call from the chaplain that day. I walked over across the street they told me what happened. Colonel Gerber was dressed in his uh, formal uniform. And, you know, here I am walking over to hear again that I have lost a husband. And as I walked back, um, the scripture in Genesis 50, 20, it's a, it's a picture of Joseph, but it's actually a shadow of Jesus. So Joseph, you know, you know the story. He was a little twit in his coat. His brothers throw him in a pit. Joseph ends up saving them at the end of his life because Joseph was prepared and had had the dreams. And Joseph says in Genesis 50, he says, what you intended, his brothers, but for me, what you intended, what the enemy intended to kill you, what the enemy intended to destroy you, um, what the enemy intended to steal from you, God intended to save many lives. And then Joseph goes on to say, fear not, I will take care of you and your little children. And as I walked back to my house that day, I didn't know that scripture. I mean, I knew the story of Jesus. I did not know that scripture that day. But I tell you what, it was as if the Lord just rewired my brain that day for his glory. And I can't describe it any other way. I had an experience seven days after Blair died where I experienced the manifest presence of God. And um, so here I am, I have sown the tears of, you know, losing Todd. I've sown the tears of losing Blair. Um, and I am a newly widowed mom of two literal babies. And um, you can imagine um, someone who grew up the way I did. What did I think I needed to do? I knew, you know, God, like, wow, you've got a, a plan here. But doing what, you know, a good Baptist girl would do, I was like, I'm going to start another Bible study. So I started a Bible study two weeks after Blair died because I was like, I don't know the word well enough. I've got to learn, you know, I'm sure other people want to learn more about the 66 books of the Bible. So I just went headlong into more knowledge. I'd never really encountered God. I'd had some experiences like the manifest presence where like the cloud of his presence was so thick in my bedroom, but you have to know I had no frame for this. I had no one in my entire family had ever experienced anything like that. No one had dreams or visions. If they did, they didn't talk about it. <laughs> just like we didn't talk about our feelings. Um, you know, there were just a million, um, a million reasons why I would start a Bible study two weeks after my husband died, because you need more knowledge. That's what you need to do. And you need something to keep you busy. 
And then I moved to Huntsville, Alabama. And while I was in Huntsville, these are my precious babies. They're so big now. This is hard to see, but I moved to Huntsville, Alabama and through a very crazy, um, circumstances I ended up meeting the girl standing beside me and her name was Leah Wagoner and Leah um Leah and I met um at church actually I'd visited this church and she was sitting right in front of me and someone had given me Leah's name eight months before I moved to Huntsville with my two kids and so here I am I moved to Huntsville there's a million people in Huntsville Alabama and would you believe that nine months later, I sit down right behind her in this church that we had visited for the first time. So here I am visiting this church. I see her sitting in front of me and I'm like, gosh, she's got a kindergartner. I got to talk to her. Like, I got to know where you need to send your kids to school. And, you know, this is going to be amazing. And so I tap her on the shoulder when church is over and I say, Hey, I was like, I would love to go to coffee with you. I was like, please Lord, just let her say, yes, I need a friend so bad. And she was like, I would love that. And, and she tells me your name and gives me your number. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, your name is in my phone. And I don't even think that any move or transition or anything that you're, you know, where it feels like God is abandoning you. That's a little bit what it felt like to move. You know, when I had my little utopia and then I moved to this, you know, unknown place, God is setting you up. Up for a new life. I truly believe every move, every job transition, every just everything that you're going through is just a setup. Um, and so here I am and I meet Leah and um, Leah is starting a Bible study and it was called Living in Freedom Every Day. And I was like, well, I, I want freedom. I I'm, think I'm free. I was so not free, but um, God was just so gracious and allowed me to meet Leah. And through that relationship, Leah introduced me to the Holy Spirit. And I know, I know in Marissa, I know most of y'all are in an environment where you've met the Holy Spirit, but, um, you know, I was a lot like some of the people in the new Testament where they were like, the Holy Spirit, who's that? I mean, it was kind of the Holy Bible and Jesus and God. <laughs> Holy Spirit was like, you know, you can keep that in the box and not like get that thing out. That's a little crazy. And so um, I got introduced to the Holy Spirit and I will say all my selves united. So my, my college self and my Sunday school self and my high school self became this one person and you would say can the holy spirit heal disassociation 100 percent, he can he totally did that for me and um he healed my childhood self he was beginning that process and so i ended up um just doing life with these girls and getting introduced to the kingdom and to the prophetic and and then to my amazing husband, we met and I moved to Atlanta and God um, allowed me to, um, to meet my husband, but not before God allowed me to sow the tears of my secret. And when I was in Huntsville, I was, um, ended up in counseling and it was there that I actually told my friend Leah for the first time what had happened to me at 10. And I, and I would say it's, um, you know, if you've ever tried to ride a bike with training wheels, um, you know, it's, to me, it's like so much harder and so much more work. I mean, it's like trying to keep it stable. And I know that sounds crazy, but it, it's not 
not easy. It's why they do those balance bikes now. And for my whole entire life, that's what riding a bike is with a secret. Um, it's like riding a bike with training wheels. Um, it's um, not freeing. It is actually harder. Um, and that was my life. And I ended up telling my secret. And I will say it was as if the day that I actually said the words that I think I've been abused. It was like the chokehold on my throat. Um, literally, I, I feel like that's what the enemy does with the secret. He literally puts shackles around your throat. And that was me. And those shackles came off. I began the journey of feeling again, of learning how to feel emotionally, of learning how to comfort these beautiful children who were looking at me. And all I could do was give them another scripture because that was what I had was I had knowledge and I met the Holy Spirit, but there is training, which is why you're doing this workshop. There's so much training involved in opening the presents underneath the tree. Like you open them and you're like, okay, how do I use this you know how, what do I do with this and there's some and as an instruction manual and you know you don't get that when you become a Christian and especially when you become a Christian like I became a Christian with a lot of whole lot of law and a whole lot of grace all mixed together which is what will kill you and ended up getting introduced to the wonderful gospel of grace, the grace that, you know, grace that says I'm fully forgiven, that says I'm radically righteous. I'm actually the righteousness of Christ. I mean, if you'd asked me at 30, if I was the right, if I was righteous, I would have said, oh, no, no, no. I mean, you can't be righteous. That's right behaving. And I mean, I can't even imagine, um, the answers that I would have come up with for how you become righteous at 30 years old, but actually righteousness is a position. It's nothing that you even, you know, do for it. I mean, it was just so mind blowing to me. It was so scandalous, which is why it's so beautiful. And the fact that I was fully forgiven, I was actually fully forgiven for what happened to me at 10. I could fully forgive my cousin. I could fully forgive my parents for, you know, not, training me on how to properly embrace emotions and um, for training me to be really gritty. I mean, I'm so grateful for that. And at the same time, I never really experienced comfort as a child. And so um, that was the, the great, the, the gospel for me was a mixture of law and grace. And I got introduced to um, this beautiful gospel of grace and ended up meeting my husband after um, some years of healing. And we now live in Atlanta um, with our two children. And I will say after Blair, after, um, Ron and I got married, actually, even in this picture that you're looking at, um, Rod, um, you know, I'd sown my tears when Todd passed away. I'd sown my tears when Blair passed away. I sowed my tears when, you know, I told my secret. And um, the fourth time that I sowed my tears were after uh, Rod and I got married. Sorry, got too many husbands. It's so hard to um, <laughs> keep them all straight when you're talking about three. It's why I brought pictures. And so, um, Rod had been a bachelor his whole life. He had married me at the age of 45, had never been married. Um, and, you know, I'd been married twice at this point and had two kids. And Blair had lost, I'm sorry, not Blair, Rod had lost his dad and had underlying depression and just, you know, trauma and anxiety from the trauma of his dad's passing. And so, 
we got married. You can imagine he has a wife and two kids on the same day and he experienced extreme anxiety and depression. Um, about a month in to our marriage, he had what I would describe as a nervous breakdown while we were on a mission trip. You can imagine for a girl who'd lost two husbands and married someone who was sick, the amount of trauma that I felt in that moment was overwhelming. And God allowed me to experience um, forgiveness in a way that I had never experienced before through communion. And communion ever, forevermore after that experience has been um, just something that I will never take for granted again. It's something that I did not realize I could administer to myself, that I could do it anytime I wanted. I had no idea that um, it was healing for my body. Um, I, there were so many things, but the Lord actually schooled me one day in my furor over the situation and just mad as a wet hornet, as we would say in the South, over um, how could I possibly have married a sick man. And um, God allowed me to just experience his broken body for my healing, to extend healing to my husband, because I really do believe as a wife, because I'm one with, with Rod, that my bitterness, my anger, um, the way I saw his anxiety and depression was impeding his healing. And that day I released Rod from my unforgiveness to heal. And I released myself from unforgiveness for feeling the way that I did. And it literally changed everything. Rod is healed today and he is walking out a ministry to men who are suicidal and anxious and depressed, even um, meeting with them probably once a month uh, or more. And it's such a beautiful story of healing. And I'm so grateful that God allowed um, all of us to heal together. Um, and um, the beautiful piece of this is that, you know, the last time I sowed tears was this past year. I mean, I've sowed a bunch of tears, but this past year, my daughter was grieving the dad that she never knew. And she's the one that's grinning her little face off in that picture. But, um, you know, Campbell had never grieved the man that um, she never knew. And so last year, about the same time, she experienced the deep throes of grief and started calling Rod instead of dad, started calling him Rod and had just a... Um, just a really, really hard time. And I will never forget, she sang at our school and she sang Build My Life. She sang this little song and this um, little talent showcase thing. And I'll never forget, this was kind of after it was all had subsided. And I thought, you know, isn't that just the way God works that, you know, I got to watch my daughter, something that I had grieved and watched her and knew that there was nothing I could do, but just, you know, there's sometimes there's no way out of pain except to go through it. And so we went through it and there on the other side, I got to watch her shout joyfully. I will build my life. I will build my life on um, your promises and your word and um, no plan, you know, it's going to be no enemy's plan is going to be thwarted. Um, the enemy's plan will not be thwarted by the love of God. And so I 
celebrate, celebrate, celebrate those tears because I know, I mean, throughout my life, and I would just ask you today, you know, where, where, where's the area, you know, that you have never sown, you know, where's that area where even while I'm talking that you're just like, I'm not sure I've really sown the tears of that. Like, where is that place of, um, where's that place of longing, you know, where's that place where you have not seen the harvest come in? And I would say, is it a place that you've really grieved? You know, is it a place that you have walked with Jesus? You've laid the debts, you know, I think for me, the things that were stolen from me. And those are the things that I have to literally write down on a card. I have to write down the impact that that had on my life. And then I have to place it at the foot of the cross. And that's what I've done you know, for the past um, five years since I even learned about inner healing is just laying that impact of my life. You know, there's the facts and then there's the impact of what's happened in your life and laying that at his feet and just watching those things disappear. A lot of times they'll burn up. A lot of times they'll just disappear at the foot of the cross and using your divine imagination. And so, you know, today I would say, um, just as you look back, I want to read the rest of Psalm 126 just as I finish but um you know I think it's just such a beautiful reminder because I think this time has been a time to remember a time to reflect um and a time to sow you know like you will reap the harvest and I I look at my life and I look at my children's life and the ministry that I have now and there's no doubt that it would never be what it is today. My kids are healthy and nobody's rocking themselves in a corner, including me after losing two husbands. Um, but I do believe it's because the Lord has allowed me to sow those tears and he's let me experience the joyful harvest. So it says, um, those who sow their tears as seeds will reap a harvest with joyful shouts of glee. They may weep as they go out carrying their seed to sow but they will return with joyful laughter and shouting with gladness as they bring back armloads of blessing and harvest overflowing. And that is, um, you know, I am in a season of experiencing um, the harvest of blessing and the harvest overflowing. And I would say, I know that's not everybody's story. Just, you know, six months ago, a year ago, I was not in that place. I mean, it's just such a seasonal, um, I mean, the seasons change for a reason. We're all in different seasons. And so I would just say today, even as I close, like, ask yourself, you know, what is the place? What is the place? Where is the place where I haven't allowed myself to cry? Where is that place? Where's that longing that the Lord is saying, lay down with me? So just as I close, I want you um, just to ask Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, will you show us the place. Will you show us the place where there haven't been tears, but yet that's the very place where you want us to plant, where you want us to plant those tears in the earth so that we can go out even maybe from this place. Maybe we can even just go out weeping and just say, gosh, wow, that was that was a lot. And um, there is there are several maybe several places that Holy Spirit is bringing up for you right now. And he just wants you to sow those tears, just like everybody's planting their gardens right now. Everybody's buying their plants. God, I know that you are wanting to plant spiritual gardens in all of us that we could have never, ever, 
ever imagine the harvest that will come from these spiritual gardens. And I do believe that those are the places of our tears. Those are the places of the silent pain that maybe sometimes only you know, but yet um, you are so faithful to make those places, um, places where we can shout for joy, places where we can run back in and say, I mean, just like growing your food for the first time, there's nothing more exciting than providing food that came up out of the ground. I mean, I get why farmers are farmers. Lord, I just thank you that you are going to allow us to experience that harvest in places that we thought um, it was over, places where we thought it was dead. And so God, everyone that's listening today, I just pray that you would let them um, see and experience the fullness of a harvest of beautiful, beautiful tears that you are doing something magnificent with. So God, in those areas, will you just comfort? Holy Spirit, will you come and touch and heal and reveal, replenish, restore, renew every one of us on this call, God? And we just bless your name. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. I love you. Thank you, friend. Thank you so much for sharing your story. You know, that's one thing that no, I think you actually said it that like nobody can argue with your story. <laughs> it's, it's yours. And that's one thing they can't debate with you about. And I love that your story depicts so much of the nature of God. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm honored to get to know you. Thank you. For I that. love you, Marissa. So fun. More of Rachel. Um, she has a ministry called Be So Ministries. It's on social media. I can get you her info. She's amazing. So we love you down south in Georgia. Love you too. <laughs>